there before we know it. Anyway, we're not doing that. So, the last Sunday of 2019 is upon us. We look back at the year, and many people have told me it's been a really good year for them. I believe it's been a great year in the church. You know, the last couple of weeks, every time I look, and it's probably just my crazy thought pattern, every time I look at the number 2019, it's just like, that's so in the past. Anybody feel that way? It's like 2019, it just makes me feel old. <laughs> that ain't the only thing that makes me feel old, but it's like, let's get this year done, out of the way, and let's get to that next year. Because for some reason, when I look at 2020, I'm thinking, man, that's a good number. That is a really, really good number. Anybody here remember, I know y'all won't, remember the song, In the Year 2525? You remember that? If man is still alive, everybody 50 and over is raising their hand. Well, that, you know what I was thinking about? I actually heard that song not too long ago, and I thought, my goodness, you know, that's not that far away, 2525. But all, you know, these numbers, and I'm, I'm, I'm not just wasting time. Maybe I am, but I don't mean to. But I'm looking at that number 2020, and every time I do, I'm thinking something. I don't know if this is from the Lord, but I'm thinking that's just something special, something special, 2020. And I know we got all the little things, you know, 2020, blah, blah, go to the doctor and we went to get our eyes checked the other day, and all I could get was like 2040. But 2020 is something to look forward to. It's a year. A lot of people this time of year start making resolutions. And I actually heard on television this morning that most, you know, they got to do surveys in America about everything. And most people in America have forsaken their resolutions. Let me just get you involved here. When do you think, how, how long, what date do you think most people give up on their resolutions? January 2nd. We got two January 2nds here. Anybody else? Anybody? I guess it depends on what it is. <laughs> if, it's, if it's something to do with food, you know, mine's normally gone by December 28th <laughs> of this year. Uh, but anyway... They say in America, most people give up on the resolutions by January the 12th. Isn't that interesting? So I think with that in mind, let's forget resolutions. You can have one if you want to. Other people, when they look at these dates, you know, they think, it's just another day. What's the difference? It's just something on the calendar. Today's a day, tomorrow's a day, the first will be a day, and on and on and on. But I like to think about it this time of the year, goals. Not resolutions, but goals. And I think it's important for us to have goals. Whether you set them at the end of a year or the middle of a year or the first day of the week, whenever you set them, I think it's very important for us to have goals in our life. So today I'm going to be talking about 2020 goals. I will let you know that in January, every Sunday of January, I'm going to be preaching a series entitled 2020 vision and I'll let you know more about what that's going to be it's, going, it's not so much I mean I'm going to share some vision for the church but it's more about vision for you vision for your life the first Sunday is going to be vision our vision of God we need to see God clearly second is our vision of ourselves. 
We really need to have a clear vision of who we are and where we are with God. And the third is 2020 vision of the, of the world, talking about the unsaved in this world. God wants us to see them clearly. God wants us to feel for them, to hurt for them, to be concerned enough for them that we get into action doing something to help change their life and change their eternity. And the fourth Sunday is going to be 2020 vision for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. God's Word talks a lot about how we relate to each other as Christians and not just relate to each other, but how we minister to each other, how we help each other along. And so we need to be Christians that are not just coming to church, but we need to have relationships with other Christians where we are adding something to their life, where we are challenging them in their life, where we're encouraging them in their life. And I'm looking forward to all four of those Sunday sermons, and I hope you will be too. If something happens that you have to miss, I hope that you'll go to the church website or the church app and listen to those messages because I believe they're going to be very helpful. So today I want to talk about 2020 goals. What are your, 20, what are your goals for 2020? And, you know, yeah, we all going to, you know, want to lose weight. There's a few of you out there that couldn't if you, you don't have anything to lose. Then there's the rest of us. But anyway, that's not really that important because one of these days we're not going to be living in this body. So don't get all upset if you just can't get down to that perfect weight. Uh, we might have financial goals. Those are good goals to have. We're living in a time of... Uh, more prosperity than we've had in the past, so it's important if we have more money to set some goals of what we should do with that money. Most people just run out and spend it. Maybe it'd be wise to save it or give it or whatever. But the main thing I want to talk about is your spiritual goals. We need spiritual goals. We need a plan. We need to know where we're going. We need to know what our target is, what we're aiming for, and then we need to know how to get there. So, of course, we've got to go to the book of Philippians, chapter 3, where Paul was talking about things like this. And you know what? I've probably got more scripture here to read than I need, but it's all so good. I could just stand here one Sunday and read the whole book of Philippians, and that would probably be one of the greatest sermons that I've ever preached. But today I just want to read 14 verses from Philippians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. That's a powerful statement right there, whatever happens. In our lives, we have good things and we have bad things. We all do and we all will. And he says, no matter what, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. These are some great statements. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own human effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. 
I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. Now look at Paul's life here. I mean, that's a tremendous statement. I don't think there were a whole lot of people that could say what he just said there. As for, the, for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. But where did it get him? Nowhere. He wasn't saved because of it. He did kind of move up the ladder of success in the ranks of the Jewish religion. But as far as his relationship with God, God appreciated his obedience, but it did not save his soul from his sins. And so he says, once, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. All of that, it was, much of it was what God gave to Moses, but Paul here is saying, all of that was worthless. All of my effort, all of my works, all my doing right to get myself right with God was worthless. And you know what? I think many of us fall into that category too. I'm not saying that we should not live a righteous life, but I think sometimes we put all the pressure on ourselves to make sure that we are right with God, trying to do right, trying to be right, trying to live right, as if that's going to get us to heaven, as if that's going to make us right with God, but that's not what makes us right with God. Now, I know some of you are getting nervous with me saying that. I'm not telling you to go out and start sinning. I'm not saying don't, you know, don't take sin I'm telling you, don't take sin lightly. We've got to take it seriously. But what I want us to know is that the pressure is not on us to save ourselves by the way we live. We put our faith in Christ and what he has done, and that's what Paul is saying. In verse 7, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And one version calls it garbage. So sometimes we have a lot of garbage in our life because we are trying to save ourselves. Many times we have a lot of garbage in our life because of other reasons. And I think what God's trying to do by the words of Paul here is to help us just relax, put our faith in God, trust Him, build a relationship with Him, and let our eternity depend upon Him instead of depending on us. And verse 80 says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, that's what it's all about, knowing Jesus. He goes on to say, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. You see, I said one, uh, one, one version calls it garbage. This one does. He says, I'm counting all of that as garbage so that I could gain Christ. You know what? There's a lot of garbage in the world that we trust in and depend upon, and that's exactly what it is. It's garbage. It's rubbish. It's, uh, it's something we don't need to be depending on, and some of it we just need to set it aside and say, hey, Lord, I'm here. I love you. I want to love you more. I want to know you better. I want to build a relationship with you. I want to build faith and trust in you, Lord God, because that's what's going to get me to heaven. That's what's going to get me right in God's sight, and that's what's going to help me to live the way God wants me to live. The way People that live for God are people that have a strong relationship with Jesus, and their faith and trust is in Him and His blood to make us righteous, to credit us with righteousness. And as a result of that relationship, that's when we start living the way God wants us to live. That's pretty good stuff. So, 
For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So where we stand with God has to do with what we believe, what we believe about God. That's good news. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. That's what we're looking forward to. I don't mean to say, now here's what I want to get to. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. That is a good place to be. If we think we have arrived at perfection, that right there lets us know that we have not arrived at perfection. There's one verse that says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. As a matter of fact, the further I get along with God, it's like I don't need to be thinking highly of myself at all anyway. Because if there's any good in me, it's because of Jesus that is in me. If there's any accomplishments that have been worked through me, it is the accomplishments of Jesus Christ in and through my life. They're not mine. I can't brag about them. I can't rejoice about them. It's all what he has done. And if I'm anything, if you're anything, if we're giving up sin and living right and treating people right, we just need to come to the realization that this ain't me, it's God. Because it ain't in any of us. We naturally want to get angry at people. We naturally want to not forgive people. We naturally want to do the wrong things and the bad things. That was born within our being when we came to life, and that is just the course of life. And the only thing that changes that is an encounter with Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ that is built on faith in Him and what He has done and what we allow Him to continue to do in our life. So it's pretty good to know we hadn't already achieved. And a lot of us have been saved a long time. I've been saved about 45 years, somewhere around there. And I'll add it up later. And you know what? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. These words are just coming to my mind. Maybe I'm writing a song. Took him just a a week to make the moon and the stars. Somebody write this down. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. The sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. And let's be good with that. So he said, but I press on. I hadn't reached it, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. You see, a a good brother told me one time a good little saying that I want to repeat. Jesus became like us so we could become like him. You ever heard that? It's absolutely true. He became like us so we could become like him. And he's working on us, making us to, to be the person that he was, to live the life that he lived. So verse 13, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, 
Now here's where we're getting to the sermon today. I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. All of us have mistakes in our past. All of us have things in our past that we don't even want to think about. And that's why Paul encourages us to do what he did. Forget the past. You failed, you've messed up, you've been unfaithful, your faith has, has uh, d- diminished at times, and all that has kind of, you, you've got all this, and you can sit around and waddle in it if you want to, and God is trying to let us know today, forget it, forget it, forget it. If the devil brings it up, listen, you just tell him what somebody else said in a song, and I'm not going to sing it. If the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Devil... I know where I've been, you know where I've been, but I know where you're going. Say, well, we might make him mad. It doesn't matter. Make him mad. He won't be happy with you if you're living for God anyway. So, forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. So, here we are, December 29th, 2019. The year's almost over. We've got some, most of having a little extra time to kind of relax and, and think. I want you to be doing this. I want you to forget the past. Unless it's good, think about the accomplishments. You know, where were you a year ago? Where were you five years ago in your relationship with God? You know, where have you failed? Wouldn't hurt to think about that. Maybe you look back over this year and you're thinking, well, you know, I didn't read my Bible, but one time the whole year. (laughs) It's time to look ahead and say, this year I'm going to read it twice. No, you got to do better than that. If you failed, you know, most of us, again, I don't want to put a lot of guilt on you because most of us never feel like we ever read the Bible enough. Most of us feel like we never prayed enough. We didn't go to church enough. Now, if you feel like you didn't go to church enough, you need to do something about that. We feel like we haven't witnessed enough. But you know what? Let's set some goals. Let's get a plan. I want to, be a, I want to get closer to Jesus. I want to know the Lord better. What is it going to take? So we're going to get to this in just a moment. You see, somebody once said also, insanity is doing the same things and expecting different results. It ain't going to happen. If you've been doing the same things, nothing's going to change. I hate to bring up the weight thing, but I can do that because I've had plenty of experience with that. You know what? I weigh 200 pounds. And if I want to stay there, I know just what to do. Just keep doing what I'm doing. And you know what? I probably will. (laughs) And that's okay. But I also know, and I'm just using a practical illustration, I also know that if I want to lose weight, I've got to eat differently. I have to change things. Now, I'm not trying to get you on a diet or anything like that. I'm just saying that's something we understand. Well, I want to tell you something. If you are where you are spiritually, the same place you were a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago, or even worse, when you first got saved, then something's not happening to draw you closer to Jesus. You're not doing something that's going to help you know him better. So it's time to get some new goals and some changes, more like a a lifestyle change, not a resolution, but a lifestyle change with some goals in mind. And the greatest goal that I want to present before you this morning is your goal to know Christ. I want everybody in this place to set a goal today 
I want to know Christ better. Now, we've got some people that are fairly new Christians, and you're just getting started out in your walk with the Lord. Still, let that be your goal. We've got Christians here that have been saved 40, 50, 60 years. And you know what? It's easier when you've been a saved person a long time to just kind of settle back and kind of, we wouldn't admit it, but sometimes we just kind of settle back and say, well, I'm as far as I'm going to get with God. Don't let that be the case because I'm going to tell you, I don't care if you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. I don't care if you've been reading and studying the Bible every day. There's something more for you. There's a closer walk with Jesus. And one of the problems some older people have is they feel like, well, my time is done. I'm where I'm going to be. I've done it all. I'm going to turn it all over, all the stuff over to the younger people in the church. I've paid my dues. Don't do that. If you're physically able, do something for God, even in your 70s and 80s and 90s. And yeah, we do have people sitting in this church right now in their 90s. There ain't nobody that looks that way, but there are some in their 90s. God isn't done with you. He's ready to keep you going and moving you closer to Him. So, But I want you to put at the top of your goal, knowing Christ should be right there on the top of your list. The Bible says in Philippians 3.8, we've already read it, but I want to reemphasize it. Yes, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to emphasize again. When Paul talks about that he no longer counted on obeying the law, he wasn't throwing out everything that is morally right. He wasn't saying that everything is okay to do. There's still moral right and wrongs that Jesus gave us, that the Old Testament gave us. He's just talking about the Levitical law that included all the animal sacrifices, that included all the way of wearing certain outfits, that included that you couldn't walk a certain distance on the Sabbath day. It was all of those things that dealt with that. When it comes down to loving your neighbor, to abstaining from other types of immorality, all that is still a part of being a child of God. And the way to be good at living the way God wants you to live is by developing a close walk of faith with the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing Him better and better and better. You don't live right to get saved. You live right because you are saved. And your relationship, out of that relationship with Jesus, will grow a life that you thought you could never live. There's probably people in this church today, I'm not thinking about anybody in particular, you've got some habits in your life and you, need, you know you need to stop. And you've tried to stop. You've tried this and that and everything else and it's not working. Well, I want to tell you something. Quit focusing on stopping and start focusing on a closer relationship with Jesus. You might say, well, I, with what I've done and what I keep doing, I'm afraid to talk to him. Well, he's not afraid to listen to you. All the sin that you could ever do would not shut the door to your walking into his presence. He wants you to come and sit down with him and say, Lord, I've been doing this. He already knows it, but it's great to tell him. Lord, I've been doing this, and I, it's a habit. I can't get rid of it. I can't seem to stop. But, Lord, I'm, I can't do anything about it. That's why, Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you. And you know what he's going to say? You came to the right spot. You came to the right person. He'll say, I can help you. I can help you. 
He's not going to look at you like many people think and say, you dirty, rotten sinner. You've been doing that and you think you can come in here to me? <laughs> that sounds like what a human might say, but not, some, not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, just come on. Come be with me. I'll help you with that. I love you. I care about you. I died to give you power over that. And all of a sudden, through your relationship with him, all of that will fall by the wayside. You see, becoming a righteous person doesn't happen because we keep all the rules. We become righteous when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done. We need to understand the two aspects of righteousness. Philippians 3.12, he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. That perfection, that righteousness is the righteousness that is credited to us because of the death and resurrection and suffering of Jesus that he did in our behalf. It's through the power of his blood, which is applied to us as a result of his death upon the cross, the perfect lamb of God, the lamb that died once and for all. In the Old Testament, they made the lamb sacrifices once every year for the sins of the people. And according to the New Testament, all that did was just reminded them of their sinfulness. It did not deliver them. It covered them. It, it, it brought about forgiveness, but it didn't give them power over those sins. Now we have Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and he wants to credit us with that. You know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like if somebody snuck into your house and rummaged through your office desk and found your checkbook. And they pulled out, instead of a check, they pulled out a deposit ticket. And they took that deposit ticket. Some of you are getting excited right now. I can tell it. They pulled out the deposit ticket and went to your bank and deposited $10,000 in your checking account. Hey, let's just make it a million. I mean, this is a dream. Probably not going to happen, but I mean, they just credited that money. It was yours. It was theirs, but they credited it to your account, and now it's yours. Well, the righteousness of Jesus, when we reached out to him by faith and accepted him as our Savior, his righteousness was credited to us as if it was our righteousness. He gave us his righteousness and made us righteous. So when God looks down from heaven and looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Isn't that incredible? That is the gift of God. And we need to be thankful for that because we know it's not us, but it's been credited to us. And so we live in that righteousness. And then there's the other aspect of righteousness, and that has to do with the way we live. It is important to live for God. But again, I want to emphasize this. I believe it's important. There's probably somebody here that really needed to hear what I'm saying today because you're struggling, you're discouraged because you failed, you're not getting where you want to be with God, and you're just trying to give up this, and you're trying to do that, and it's just not working, you're not getting there. I'm trying to help you to get there today. Because the other aspect, so Wes, let me say this one more time. If you're saved, you're truly saved, you've truly put your faith in Jesus, then you are righteous in the eyes of God. You're as righteous as you can possibly get. You have a relationship with Almighty God. And that's why he says, come boldly to the throne of grace. 
We can walk right into his presence, not because we have actually lived everything perfectly, but because the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to us. And so since we are righteous, through the righteousness of Jesus, there's going to be a a change in life. But we don't need to get this other righteousness as if that's going to get us to heaven. But let us, let's, let's talk about it. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, let me read that again, since we have been made right with God in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, in Christ, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. How many of you are ready to just stand in the presence of God for days and days and days and days and days? And you and I are going to get to do that. We need to know that. We need to look forward to that. We need to forget if we're walking with Jesus, forget about going to hell. It's not going to happen because you're going to walk with Jesus. And one of these days you're going to stand in the presence of God. And it's going to be because of your faith in Jesus. Hebrews 4.14, so then... And this actually has to go along with the first kind of righteousness that I'm talking about. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Because what we believe determines what we are and where we stand with God. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Aren't you glad? I wished I had no weaknesses, but I'm glad he understands. For he faced all of the same testings we do Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. The second kind of righteousness is the way we live. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So what I'm bringing out here, because there are people out there that will tell you that first kind of righteousness, that's all you need. Don't worry about how you live. If you got sinful habits in your life, just keep on doing them. I'm not telling you that. Some people will tell you that. But again, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and, God, and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. God over and over in the Bible tells us to live right, to live righteously. But again, don't let your thinking pattern become that, well, if I don't, if I don't do this, I'm going to die and go to hell. You see, here's the danger of not trying our best to live for God. If we keep allowing sin, willfully allowing sin in our life, sin starts tearing away at our faith in God. And we got to remember, faith in God is what got us saved, and faith in God is what keeps us saved. So I want you to get that in your mind. I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm, I'm seeking a better relationship with Jesus, so I am saved. But here's all this sin. And I like some of it. It's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. But I need to fight that sin. I need to run from that sin because that sin can tear down my faith in God. And if we allow it, that's exactly what will happen. And if it tears down our faith in God, we're going to get discouraged and we're going to turn and walk away from God. And our faith in God's going to be dead. And when our faith in God is dead, then we're going to be lost. 
You see, many people grew up hearing preaching about man. If you go, if you fall this week and you sin, you're lost and on, and you're on your way to that bad place. A lot of preaching, man. You could fill the altars up with the kind of preaching that. Oh, you, we've pastored people before, and it was like during the course of a day, part of the time they were saved and part of the time they were lost. Well, we can be secure in our salvation if our faith is in God, genuinely in Jesus, and we're pursuing a relationship with Him. We don't have to worry. We don't need to fall, but if we do, He's there to pick us up. You know why? Because He understands our weaknesses. He faced them all. All. Guys, He faced them all. He knows what it's like, but he never sinned, and he can help us. We've sinned, but we've been washed in the blood. So, thank God for his righteousness. Now, finally this morning, I want to talk about this. Maybe it's time for us all to set some goals. Have you got any goals? Some good goals? I hope you'll just sit down. If you, if you can't keep them in your don't get a t- list of 20 or 30. Just set a goal. You know, I've been watching a little football. Anybody been watching a little football? And I'm always amazed at the field goal kicker. Wouldn't it be great to be in the NFL as a football kicker? Making millions of dollars. You don't have to block anybody. You don't have to tackle anybody. You don't have, uh, once in a while maybe, but, you know, you just got it made. You run out on the field, kick a field goal, go back and sit on the bench and you know, drink a little Gatorade and watch the game. But there's a lot of pressure on that field goal kicker. I know I don't need to say this. Well, I'm not going to say it. A lot of pressure. But you know what? I watch that field goal kicker, and it's not easy. I mean, he's got a goal. He knows what his goal is. His goal is to get that football to go flying between those uprights and the goal post. And if he does... He'll get three points or one point, depending on if it's after a touchdown. But you know what? It's not easy. And look at all that's involved in this. Now, I know there's some people you may not have a clue what I'm talking about. Most people have enough knowledge of football to know about a field goal kicker. you got to understand this. First of all, he goes out there and he looks at the goal post. And he's doing his hand like this, right down the middle. And so he's bringing that line all the way to where that football is going to be. And so then he goes back a few steps, and then he takes a few steps over like this, and all the time he is looking right down there at where that football is going to be. But there's one thing that we need to learn. He can't do it by himself. He is depending on 10 other people on that field to do their job in order to get that ball through the uprights. It's mostly dependent upon him. But he's got somebody that's going to take the snap. And they've got about a half a second to catch that ball and get it right where it needs to be. And if they don't get it where it needs to be, he's not going to be able to kick that field goal. In our walk with God, in our pursuit of the goals that God wants us to pursue, we've got to have help. And so let me tell you something. Don't try to do it alone. We've got great ministries around this church that are designed for that. We've got a great men's leader that teaches us on Wednesday night some great things about reaching that goal for Christ. We need to get in there, men, and help each other and encourage each other and build each other up and let us talk about things and let us hear the Word of God. We've got a great women's ministry and youth ministry and young adult ministry and children's ministries and nursery ministries and, and all kind of things. And I would encourage you to get in everything. I know some people don't like to be around crowds. Some people don't like to 
meet new people. Some people don't like to be in that atmosphere, you know, a small group setting. And let me tell you something, guys. If you come to the men's group, we're not going to get you to tell us all of your feelings. <laughs> You're not going to have to talk about your emotions. You're not going to have to confess all your sins. You don't have to tell anything. So, there you go. Now, we don't have all the frilly stuff that the women have. <laughs> we, we should start having some kind of snack, though. I mean, got to have something to snack on when you're in a Bible study. So, we need, to, we need the support. We need the help. That's what that field goal kicker is doing. He's depending on that, that guy holding the ball. He's a, depending on the person that hikes the ball. He's depending on the line to keep all of the defense away from him. And, and he's going through that in just a small amount of time. But you know what? He didn't just kick a football for the first time right before he came out on that field. He's been kicking footballs, hundreds of them, thousands of times. All week long, he's kicking balls and in all kinds of scenarios, from the right side, from the left side, from, from 25 yards to 50 yards, maybe 60 yards. He is doing this over and over and over and over again. What does that teach us? If we're going to reach the goal... We've got to do it more than once. You see what happens when you're out there on the battlefield of your Christian life and the devil is attacking you and discouraging you and trying to tear you down. Whether you win that battle or not is not going to determine, be determined at that moment. It's going to be determined by what you were doing in your personal walk with God, in your private time of devotion. That's where the strength and the power comes from. That's where you get ready for the battle. That's where you get the strength from God during that private time. And that whole football team, what you see on Sunday is the result of what they did that entire previous week, that entire previous month, that entire previous year. What those players do on that football field on Sunday goes all the way back to middle school or, or whatever it was when they were five or six years old and somebody handed them a football and they got on a team and started playing. They might have got the ball and run to the wrong goal line. But they started. And so what happens on that field and what's going to happen this afternoon to get your favorite team in the playoffs goes all the way back years and years and years. Now, this ain't about football. This is about you winning with God. What you are today with God is determined by what you have done for the past month, the past year, the past decade, years and years and years. So where are you today? Now, here's what was more important. Where do you want to be this time next year with God? What kind of relationship do you want to have with him? Don't you want to look back and say, you know what? I was having a problem with this habit, but I started seeking God. I started spending time with God. I started loving God more, focusing on God. I, I just started counting a lot of things in my life as, as rubbish, as garbage, and set those things aside. And now I've, I'm free from that habit I'm free from that sin I had bitterness towards somebody that I wasn't able to forgive for a long time but I, I've set this goal to forgive them and through my relationship with Jesus I've been able to let them go set them free and set myself free from all of that where do you want to be what are you struggling with what's what's causing you pain and irritation and frustration in your life now's the set time to set a goal Paul in Philippians 3.14, he said, I press toward the goal for the prize 
of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know why some people don't do anything? Some people don't go anywhere with God because they don't know where they're going. It's like if you're going on a long trip, you decide you're going to go to Seattle, Washington. Drive there. I wouldn't recommend just getting in the car and just start going somewhere if you don't have any idea where it's at. Go get a map. No, don't get a map. Pull out your phone, and it will give you the course to get there. But you got to stay on course. And that's the way it is with God. We've got to stay on course. I know we start swaying a little bit here, swaying a little bit there, but we've got to stay on course. Let me give you one more illustration. Have you ever done anything with a compass? Anybody? Any good Royal Rangers? A compass has 360 degrees, right? I'm not talking about temperature. I'm talking about 360 degrees of direction. If you decide you want to go to Seattle, Washington, probably flying in an airplane, I'm talking about a direct route. You get out a compass and you set a course of direction. Let's say it's, to make it simple, 270 degrees from Atlanta, Georgia. That's just an estimate. I don't know what it is. And so you set that compass and you start heading at a direction of 270 degrees. And that will get you to the exact spot in Seattle, Washington. Listen to this. If you fly that plane at 269 degrees, one degree off, you're going to be over 40 miles from your destination when you get out there. The point of that is very simple, very simple in our Christian life. If we keep our focus directly on where we're going, we'll get there. If we get our focus off, if we get off course to the left or to the right, that's why the Bible says the way to heaven is straight and narrow. Sometimes we look at that with a bad connotation. No, it's not a bad thing at all. Stay on course. We've got to make sure that all this junk out here doesn't get our attention and we will arrive. Let me finally give you several things to do in setting this goal. The first thing you need to do is evaluate. Look at your life and determine if you are living and doing what God wants you to live and do. Take some time to do this. Get alone and evaluate your life. Is your life what you want it to be? Is your life what God wants it to be? Are you headed in the direction that's going to take you where God wants you to go? You know what? If what we're doing ain't working, we need to do something else. So take some time to evaluate. What, what's going on in your life? What's causing you pain? What's causing you heartache? Sometimes doing the right thing will cause pain. But keep doing it. But evaluate. Too many times in our modern society, we're just running and going here and there, and we don't have a clue what's going on. We're just going through the motions, almost like a robot, of doing what society is telling us to do, what society is telling us to desire. I want to tell you something. we got to stop and evaluate where we are. Ask yourself some questions. Am I concerned the way that the way I live is pleasing to God? Do I read the Bible as a means of getting to know Jesus better? Do I spend quality time in conversation with God? Am I any different since I came to know Jesus as my Savior? Can I identify changes that Jesus has made in my life? Am I, am I at peace with God and myself? Those are just a few questions to start with. If you didn't get them all, I'll leave my notes down here and you can get them. Or go on the website. Go on the, on the uh, church app is where you can find the notes for yourself. 
The second thing to do, first evaluate. The second thing to do is identify. Write down things that need to change. You say, well, I've been doing this. This ain't working. This ain't helping. I need to do something different. And here's what they are. Maybe you identify that you are not spending time with God by reading the Word with a, with a focused mind and an open heart. Maybe you will identify that I don't think much about how God feels about the things I am doing. Maybe you will be able to identify I am pretty much the same person I was when I got saved. So if that's the case, you need to identify some steps of action. Maybe you'll say, well, I'm going to start taking 15 minutes a day, maybe 30 minutes a day to really just get alone, sit down with God, relax, breathe, pick up the Bible, and read it in the right way. Not just to say, well, I, I, did, I, I got it done. Don't make reading the Bible a chore. Let it be a joy. I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to listen to God, how he's going to speak to me. These are the things that I need to do. And the final thing is implement them. Do them. I remember the prodigal son when he was in that pig pen feeding pigs. If you read the story, it's kind of like this. He said to himself, I am going to go back to my father and just ask my father if I can be a servant in his house. I would be better off if I was just a servant than I am out here feeding these pigs. He was kind of talking with himself. I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask my father, Father, can I be your servant? And you know what? He implemented it. He didn't just think about it or talk about it. He got up out of that pig pen and he got on the road and he started walking toward his house. And when he got back, of course, his father was waiting there to welcome him home. So in other words, we've got to be doers of the word. We've got to come up with a plan if we don't have one. And we've got to do more than think about it or even write it down. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. And God will help us. Maybe those things don't sound too spiritual, but they really are. They're very, very spiritual. And the final thing is when we do this, we're going to experience some real growth. Real change will take place in our life. We will be more at peace with God and not afraid to die. I don't know if there's anybody in this building that's afraid to die. But if you are, you don't have to be. If you're right with God, you don't have to be afraid of dying. Just get ready. Look forward. I, well, when I say get ready, I'm not saying get ready for any time soon. I'm just saying, I'm ready. I'm going to be with God. And if I die today, it's okay. I know everybody around me is going to be miserable because I'm not here anymore. <laughs> They're not going to be able to live without me. Well, most people do live without us when we're gone. But at least let's think that. They're, they're not going to be able to make it. They're going to be sad and miserable, but that's okay because I'm going to be with Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to be having a great time. No, seriously, if you're afraid of dying, when you've got peace with God, you don't have to be. Another result will be you'll be able to get rid of things in your life that are taking away your joy and peace. You will be able to have a love for God, and you'll grow stronger and stronger in the Lord. You'll be able to think more about others than you do about yourself, which will result in a more meaningful life, a more joyful life, a happier life than you can ever imagine. I want to ask you this morning. Everybody, if you would, just close your eyes for a moment. And I want to ask you this question. First of all, 
If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you just feel like the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and you need to pray right now and invite Jesus to come into your life because you know He's the Son of God, you know that He died to save you, you know that He rose from the grave, right now you need to invite Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And you want to. Would you lift your hand? And I will lead you in prayer. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. Let me ask you here today, every head is bowed. We don't, I know nobody needs to see this. I just want to see it so I can pray for you. You'll say, Pastor, I'm saved. I love the Lord, but I'm kind of in a spiritual rut. I need to set some goals. I need to evaluate myself. I need to identify things that need to change. And I just need to implement a new plan that's going to draw me closer to God. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Yes, 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 yes. Many, many, many hands are going up. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Praise God. Heavenly Father, my prayer today is for all these that raise their hands. God, help them. Help them. We've all been where they are. We may all be there now and just don't realize it. But my prayer is, God, that you will help us. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Help us to have a plan, to set a goal, to implement that plan. God, that's the hard part. And we're trying to go to work and trying to take care of the kids and the house and the bills and all these other things. Lord, it's hard. But God, you've been through everything we've been through. And so, God, we just cry out to you today right now. Help us. I pray that you'll help each person in this church right now, especially those that raise their hand. And now I want to pray with that one that raised their hand to be saved. This can be the best day of your life. I hope you'll pray this prayer with me and walk out of here a brand new person in Christ. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me right out loud, and I want the one that raised his hand to pray it and mean it as if it's the best thing you've ever done in your life, because it is. Let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for loving me, for understanding my weaknesses, for dying for my sins, and being raised again. I'm a sinner. I need you to be my Savior. Come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Help me to love you like I've never loved you before. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and rejoice at the salvation of a soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.